Okay, well, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, very excited today to have our guest Andrea Frank Hencart with us. Uh, I'm most excited about this. Uh, Andrea has an amazing background and I believe an incredible story to tell. And so a uh, little bit of background on Andrea. She is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and certified nutritional counselor. She is the author of nine books on health and wellness with her most recent bestseller on the topic of nutrition for pregnant and nursing moms and kids. Her books have been endorsed by Deepak Chopra, uh, Stephen Covey, and I believe Oprah as well. Andrea's favorite pastime is facilitating international workshops and seminars designed to empower women and teens to own their feelings, strengthen their self-confidence, and lift each other up. She is wildly passionate about the projects that help women and children all over the world. Andrea has a dedicated has dedicated a significant amount of time and money into building swing sets and planting shade trees in impoverished schools in southern Belize. Andrea has appeared on hundreds of TV shows and radio shows internationally, including Oprah, huge fan of Oprah. And today she's hanging out with us. Very excited to have you with us today, Andrea. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, your, your story. I, when I think about how much you've accomplished and the impact that you've had on the world, I would like to hear a little bit about where your motivation comes from, where your energy comes from to tackle so many projects. Nine books is an amazing feat. And then to be involved in nonprofit initiatives, to be involved in helping women uh, uh, transform their lives by seeing what they can achieve, the impact on children. Where's this motivation come from? You know, it's, it's such an interesting question to make for me because when I, when I hear my, my uh, resume read, when people introduce me, I'm always like, who are they talking about? You know, is that me? I really don't think that I have all that much energy or or anything to do anything. But yes, I have accomplished a lot of things, and that that is that just comes from an internal drive. It really does. I had a I grew up in a family that wasn't a very happy family to say the least, and it was from that dark place that I was able to bring light. And that's been my mission, especially to give children a voice because I didn't have one. I came from a generation where children were seen and not heard. And when my parents got divorced when I was very young, no one talked about it. There wasn't therapy or books or anything about it. And so I didn't have a voice. So when I decided to have children, I made a conscious choice to do it really differently, Scott. And that's really where my motivation stemmed from is when I first started having children. Wow. I, um, uh, my parents uh, were divorced as well and nobody talked about it. It's <laughs> same very similar experience. It was just sort of like I felt like I was navigating my own path and trying to figure things out. You wrote a book with your your daughter Journey, um, Cool Communication, and your your daughter was a, I believe a teenager when you first started to write this book. She was twelve when she first started speaking with me when she came on the speaking circuit with me, and then she was fifteen when our first edition came out, which was a um, sort of it was a self-published book at the time. And then when the actual book came out, that was endorsed by Oprah and Deepak Chopra. That was uh, she was uh, eighteen when that one debuted. Wow! So, what's the essence of the book? Why why was that book so important to write? Well, the, the subtitle is From Conflict to Cooperation for Parents and Kids. And so what, what happened really, the, the, the story behind that is my daughter came home from school one day in tears because she had been playing with a friend and realized that 
her friend's family and the way that they were parenting and everything that went on in that household was drastically different than what was going on in our household. And she didn't understand because kids always think what's happening at home is the norm. And we weren't watching TV at the time. We chose not to have a television when I was raising my two children so that we could have more family time together. So she didn't have a lot of uh, influence of what it looked like you know, from, from television either. And so we started talking about what those differences were. And I realized that she had some really brilliant insights when she was 12 years old, which is why I brought her on the speaking circuit with me. And then um, the book just really came from that. And really the one thing was one day she was home from, from school, she was sick. She was um, probably maybe 14 at the time. And um, we did have television at that time. And to be honest, we were watching Montel Williams. We just had the TV on, you know, kid was home sick. We were hanging out together and that was on. And it was a mother-daughter conflict. And we were both screaming at the, at the TV screen saying, we've got the answer for that. And she was saying, mom, if they only did this. And I said, you know, if they only said that. And then we looked at each other. I said, we need to write a book. Because I had already written books on childbirth, natural childbirth and some things like that. And so, we said, okay, let's do it. And we did. That, that's, a, that's incredible. Montel Williams, that is not a name I've heard for quite some time. But we were on his show, as a matter of fact. Is that right? Wow. That's a, that is, that is uh, so cool. So what I like to, before we explore the broader impact of the book, what, what impact did that book have on the relationship between you and your daughter? It still has an incredible um, impact, and it did with my son and even with my husband, because it's a book about communication skills. It's a book about just basic listening to the other person, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, and really empathizing with where they're coming from, and learning how to create a balance in relationships. And still, as, in, as far as parenting goes, still establishing that parents are the parents, the ones in charge. And so that's really the basis of the book. And so we still quote each other sometimes, not as much as we did when she was a teenager or even when my son was a teenager. We'd quote from the book and say, yeah, but you said in the book. It was like, ah, that's not fair. Cheap shot. <laughs> that is, it's, uh, it's pretty cool when you got a, a reference guide of the rules of the game, so to speak. What, um, you mentioned empathy and learning empathy. How do you, how do you teach someone empathy? It, it is a skill. I have to say it is a skill and it's really stepping into our own hearts. I really believe it's stepping into our own feelings because the bottom line is I think every, I really believe that every single person on the planet really just wants to be loved for and seen, really seen for who they are, not how someone else wants them to be. And unfortunately our schools and our parenting styles today and, 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 jobs, they, they put us into these holes of how we're supposed to be. And people are, people are uneasy about that, especially children who don't really have a say. They don't have a voice. They have to do what their parents tell them to do, when to do it, why to do it, how to do it, and how they should feel once they've done it. Right. So giving them the voice and, and allowing parents to have that understanding, it doesn't mean they have to get away with with things that are not appropriate, because that's another another piece of the conversation here is the discipline and the importance of that. However, just knowing where, you know, when to step into someone's feelings and be really able to listen is it's not difficult to learn. It's really just wanting what we want for ourselves. And, and, and in conjunction with that, I wonder that I was picking up that you're, are, we really need to be able to focus on that other person. And focus requires 
us to really be able to block out all the other voices that we might be hearing and really be able to pay attention to that person in front of you. How do you, how do you, how do you deal with the bombardment of information, the bombardment of so many things happening to us at, on any given moment and needing to be able to focus on the person in front of you in that given moment? How do you do that? It's, it's just a really beautiful visual. And, and, th and thank you for saying what you said about blocking people out and, and sounds and all the, you know, it, I, I always encourage parents to listen to your intuition in your heart. Um, we're, we are so bombarded by the way things are supposed to be or what somebody else is doing. And it takes, it just takes, an, again, it's about stepping into ourselves. It's about feeling confident in our own selves and listening to our own inner voice as opposed to what everything society, TV, advertisement, you know, social media is telling us. Because if we yeah. go back to just the original relationships, like when, you, when, you're, when you're dating somebody, if you're just sitting on that date talking all about yourself and how great you are and how rich you are and how great in bed you are and all that kind of stuff, the other person's going to want, in most cases, the other person's going to want some reciprocation going on there. Like, what do we have in common? You know, what, what, what can I say that interests you? What can you say that sparks me? And it's that give and take. And it's the same with raising children. It's being fully present to another human being and opening our hearts and being willing to take that time to listen. And even in our hurried up world, we can absolutely make that happen and raise beautiful families without having to be in those, I don't like the expression terrible twos or worrying about teenage years. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. Yes, I agree with you. I think we, there's so many things that are just self-fulfilling prophecies. And so if we actually set the frame of, of what we want, framework in our mind of what we want and the positive elements, more often than not, we gravitate towards that. And so if we think something's gonna be a problem, generally it turns out to be a problem, doesn't it? I, uh, one of the things that when you were talking about being able to focus inward and to see what's in your heart, and my education didn't involve anything related to, to that, it's certainly not in, in elementary school or, or in high school. And, and yet some of these most important skills, um, most important elements of how to live really aren't brought forward in a formal education system. Um, most homes really don't have somebody, even the parent that really understands that and can convey that to the kids. How, where, do, where do people, how do we learn to be able to focus on what's within our heart and then transform that into being empathetic towards others? That's a beautiful. There's so many opportunities. We live in a world right now where it's just, in a, we're in abundance of all of those opportunities. You can pick up a magazine in the hair salon and read, you know, one paragraph of that, that can help spark that. There's podcasts, there's, there's books, there's courses, there's personal growth courses. There's so much available. When mm -hmm. I was younger, there was, as you say, there was none of that. And right. it was a high school teacher that was talking about, it was an interpersonal relationship course. And he taught us all how to hug. Because in those days, families, in my family anyway, there wasn't a lot of hugging going on. And I learned the art of hugging. And it opened my heart in such a new way. And when I became a school teacher, I got two teaching credentials from UCLA and I studied alternative methods of education. That's what they called it back in the day, alternative mm -hmm. methods, which just meant <laughs> listening to your students, working with them, finding what level they're operating on and then working with them accordingly, as opposed right. to going back to putting them in a box. So 
there's there's just an, there's a plethora of of opportunity for everybody. And I think that one more thing I'll say about that, Scott, is there's this whole movement of meditation and breath work. I was teaching meditation and breath work internationally back in the 70s. And it has such a resurgence right now. And people are saying, well, I don't know how to do it. There's really nothing magical to it. You don't have to sit upright in a magical spot and ohm all day long. It's just, you could do it in the Costco shopping line where you just literally feel your feet on the ground. You feel grounded for a second and you take a deep breath, not from your throat, not from your solar plexus, but all the way down into your groin. You take a deep breath and you just feel your body and you feel your body. You feel yourself fully present. And in that moment of being present, we can move forward and speak forward to somebody else in a completely different way than if we're just all the noises in our head and we're just focusing up here. This, this is so important. I, I find myself, uh, I have a busy schedule and I find myself forgetting to pause. And, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the day comes and you're just absolutely spent and you're not even sure what took place in the day. What are some of the, what are some of the practical ways that people can, can really learn the habit of pausing, taking those deep breaths and just getting in touch with how you're feeling, your emotions, what is, what is happening within you in that, at that time and really get that calming sense to be able to really proceed with the day? What are some practical tips? You just gave them. You literally just gave them. You just laid <laughs> it out. That there's no big secret to it. You yeah. absolutely just said what it is. It's being conscious, number one, and taking that pause. And it's, it works into, with parenting as well. It's about the parent taking a time out, taking a step back, literally sometimes taking a step back from the situation and just again feeling your feet on the ground it starts right there and it's you don't have to be all mystical and ground yourself into mother earth if you're not into that it's just feeling your feet on the costco floor the supermarket floor or the living room floor mm -hmm. and then taking a deep breath as i said a really deep breath and bringing your 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 thoughts into sometimes it helps to bring it into your heart space like just visualize your heart or visualize your your third eye or your brain or or your tip of your nose it doesn't matter it's whatever works for you so that you can be on a subway you can be on a bus you can be in a busy meeting with with your team your team members at work and things are going awry it can you can have a, a kid that's having a tantrum it's just stopping for a second nobody has to know what you're doing nobody can see it right and it's so when you, just, when you, literally just containing your own energy. And there's, again, there's nothing mystical to it. It's just visually, consciously thinking about what is that going to look like if I pull my energy in right now? What it looks like to me, Scott, may look like something different to you. If I feel like I'm just frenetic all over the place and I put my feet on the ground, which I've just done, and I take a deep breath and I just visualize all this like static around me. That's how I see it. And I just go, okay. I just drop into my own body. Like I kind of just dropped into my belly, actually. My breath went mm -hmm. down there. That yeah. was it. And that, and I've taught myself over all these years, over 40 years, to be able to do that anywhere, anytime. That is an amazing skill to have. I, when you were talking, I, um, and you mentioned the word conflict. And you uh, reminded me of an argument my youngest daughter and I had. Uh, she would have been... I believe around 13 
uh, Alyssa will be able to tell me the exact time because she <laughs> So we're in this conflict and the conflict is around something so stupid. I'm trying to, starting off trying to explain to my daughter that 200 some dollars for a pair of jeans is not reasonable. And my daughter feeling like um, she's gonna be the only kid at school that does not have the 200 plus dollar jeans and that we don't care about her. And so we're getting in, in it's escalating into an argument. And, and it wasn't super epic or anything, but it was an argument about genes, which is, you know, seems like a really silly thing, but at the moment it was very important to her. And I was just, I was digging my heels in and not really listening to what she was saying. What advice do you have for parents in, in these almost silly, but important arguments that, that escalate? It's such an important uh, moment in time to realize that it's not silly. Where it might seem silly to us, it's jeans, come on, $200, really? But to your child in that moment, it's everything. It's just as important to her as, you know, losing a business contract might be to you or, or having an illness. I mean, it's just, it's as important. And that's where the empathy comes in. That's where we step into their shoes and, and, Feel it from where they're coming from and then help them navigate through that. So, and, you know, what I would do instead of saying, well, that's just silly and $200 for jeans, that's ridiculous. In my day, they were, it doesn't matter. She doesn't care what they were in your day. She knows how she's going to feel being the only kid without jeans. For me, there's two, there's two ways to go here, two lessons to teach. And we have to be careful in the teaching because kids don't want to be lectured to. They just kind of tune us out. Um, one is the understanding that there's there's beauty in being unique and different, and we don't have to be everyone else. Just saying that to a kid, though, that doesn't work. <clears throat> it's being, but it's living your example of that and allowing them to be happy and fully free in being their own unique human. And again, that's a, a whole conversation we can talk about. The part, the part of the financial part, two hundred dollars is a lot of money to spring on a pair of jeans for most families today. So I would be really honest and say, you know what? That's really not in our budget right now. I would love to be able to get you those jeans. If I could, guess what? I would buy them in a heartbeat because all I want is for you to be happy. But really right now, it's not in our budget. You don't have to give any other explanation. It's not like we're working, we're working on this business or the car or the house payment. It doesn't matter. They don't care about that. I really want to do this for you. And right now, I'm really sorry I can't. What can we do if these jeans are that important? What can we do to make this happen? How can we maybe raise the money? How maybe can you raise the money? I could probably put in 50 bucks. How can you get the other 150? The kid's going, well, I don't know. Like, well, let's let you, do you want to brainstorm? Let's come up with some ideas. And those ideas can be silly and goofy so that they're rolling their eyes and thinking you're stupid because that's a good part of the conversation. And then you're asking for their input. And before you put them down for saying, you know, I can go get a job when I'm 12. And you say, well, you can't do that. Instead of saying no, it's like, wow, I'm really impressed that you're willing to work for this. Good for you. I'm really proud of you. How can we make this happen so that you can legally make some money here and we can both create this fund for, for these genes you want as soon as we can make it happen? Andrea, that is a, a great answer. I, one of the things that I heard you talking about within that, when I really think about what's the outcome of that approach, the amount of trust and connection that would be established with with your with your child with that approach is is instead of a memory of an argument 
over a pair of jeans. It was actually, a, it's a moment in time that built the relationship even stronger. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I just got goosebumps. I'm really glad that's what you heard from that because that's the intention. And it might be, it might be, you know what? We come to no conclusion here. We can't raise the 200 bucks. I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I'm going to make it my goal to have that extra kind of money to be able to buy you the jeans when you want them. But right now, my darling, I can't make that happen. And if you can't, we can't figure this out together right now, let's see what we can create. And I'm open. Anytime you have an idea, if I'm not around, jot it down, write it down and we'll keep exploring this because I want you to be happy. That's uh, fantastic. Uh, so well put. The, um, um, one of the things that you're triggering for me and, and one of the things you highlighted is the power of words. Yes. And how we use our words and what, how words are received. Um, how, have, how have you learned to be able to effectively use words to have that such an impact? Um, it's, you know, the power of words is a chapter out of cool communication and it's, it's really, um, I, I did study, I, I became a, uh, did study psychology. I got my master's in psychology and, you know, I studied the whole field of listening and I've, I've read some amazing books like nonviolent communication and, um, a lot, just a lot in the past. I don't do it now, but I, I read a lot of books when I was pregnant and when I was raising my children because I wanted to be that communicative parent. I have to say though, I think it's one of my gifts, to be honest. Mm. It's one of my gifts. People can throw a situation at me like the gene story. You can probably throw a whole bunch more at me and I'm just going to come up with some ways to transform that. And that really, I, I just have to say it's by the grace of God or whatever you want to call it, that I have that gift. You know, that um, one of the things I want to delve into this a little bit, because all too often we're so hesitant to say what our gifts are. And in some cases, we don't even recognize what our gifts are. How do, how do people learn what their gifts are and then how to really, you know, own them and be proud of them at the same time? That's what I teach people to do. That is really my ultimate passion is teaching people of all ages to step into their power. I know that's sort of an overused phrase, but to step into their power and really look at their gifts and, and develop them and appreciate them. And it's taken me a long time to be able to say that, I feel really confident. I really love who I am. I love my body. I love my life. I love myself. I love everything about me. Are there things that I want to work on and, and get even better at or even change and, and let go of? Absolutely. Because I want to keep growing as long as I'm alive. But it's this process of, of stepping into our own selves and really acknowledging and appreciating. And in most cases, it's difficult for people because they're not acknowledged as children. That's something else. You know, where do you draw the line in telling your child that they're, they're, they are meant for greatness and they are great and then giving them just a big ego when they're not doing anything? Um, there, there's, it's, it's always a fine line. And I was in a family that never acknowledged who I was. And so it's taken me 65 years to be able to develop who I am as a human and feeling really good about that. And, and when I teach other, specifically women, when I teach women to be awakened, it's, it's in my seminar, it's in my workshops that I do, my Awakened Women workshops, where I bring women together and really help them go, get, they go raw and deep and are able to communicate on such a deep, honest level. It's about creating trust in the room. And I do it with, with my Awakened Humans course with men and women to be able to teach that as well. Wow. 
You know, you mentioned the word um, uh, wise wisdom. When did you realize that you were a wise person? I've kind of always known that I had something that I was sharing. I mean, not always. It's probably, um, probably in my late 20s, I started to really realize that. I, I was aware of it when I was younger, but I became more aware of it in my early 20s, my late 20s. And um, believe it or not, I was sitting in a meditation in my, in my own house about four years ago now or five years ago. And this phrase, wise mama wisdom, came to me. And I was just enamored with it. And I didn't know what to do with it for years. I had no idea because I was healing from the loss of my husband, who I was married to for 30 years, who died in a plane crash. And I was, I was healing from that experience. And this wise mama wisdom came to me and was like, okay, what do I do with this? And it was on hold for a while until it just emerged. And now I proudly am wise mama wisdom. Wow. That, see, I, I have not run into too many people who um uh have that level of confidence about saying hey look i know that i'm wise and the ones that i have are the ones that have the most impact because there's they're really coming from a, a place of honesty it's like this is just the reality this is what the case is and then you don't worry about all the baggage that goes along with it anymore it's just a conversation at that point an exploration of the ideas and, and or the issue that's in that's in front of you when you think about the responsibility that you have um, and it, there is a responsibility if, if one is wise there's a responsibility that goes along with it you seem to take it quite seriously with the books you've written the international speaking that you do the supporting of nonprofits. Um, how do you encourage others to get in touch with the level of wisdom that they have and each of us have levels of wisdom how do you get in touch with that I, again, it goes back to just stepping into into our own power and, and acknowledging who we are. I think I think what's really important too is humility and mm -hmm. letting go of ego. I used to walk around with a huge ego, Scott, in my early days when I was a speaker sharing the stage with big name people on stage as a, you know as a motivational trainer. Um, I've shared the stage with John Sharma and John Maxwell and. Um, mm -hmm you know, Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and John Gray, and the list goes on. And so my ego was, would, would precede me for a long time. And it was when I was, um, I was brought down to my knees after my husband died. It was that huge trauma that, that caused me to really doubt myself and like, who am I in the world now? Wh who, what happens next for me? And it was re it was being willing to be really real and raw and vulnerable, which is what I teach my women, teach women and men in my seminars. Um, it was being willing to be that, that vulnerable to say, I know nothing. And I, I am actually nothing, not, not in a, I'm not worth it. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't think I was worthless, but just, I don't know who I am. And then being willing to experience and ask other people and learn new things and read more books and take more seminars and, let go of the ego that it just it just came to me it just it's just it's not something that i've tried to grasp or lear learn or read it's just been a process and it it just feels really good and i want to see that i really want to see that for everybody it because we all have it it's not like oh i've got something special we all have wisdom from 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 time in, in the beginning of time within all of us it's just being able to be quiet enough for long enough to tap into it and being willing to let go of the ego to be able to, to share it with other people. 
And being a student first is really, really important. Always learning. Always, always learning. Always seeking. The, the tragic event with your husband dying in a plane crash uh, about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, husband and best friend. Yeah. Um, uh, leaves a huge void, as you mentioned. And there was a, it sounds like it was a very tough sort of journey. Um, where did you get encouragement? You mentioned, you know, you went seminars and such, but where did, where did encouragement come from for you to really be able to handle and address the issues that were in front of you? I actually had a really good therapist, to be really honest. I had a really good therapist, a spiritual therapist who guided me. Um, I had a great friendship circle and I started saying yes to things I was terrified to say yes to at the time and stepping into all different kinds of experiences that were brand new for me. I knew that I had to reinvent myself. I couldn't be the same person I had been for 30 years. I needed to be somebody different. And so today I'll stand on, I'll, I'll say to people, you know, my husband dying, now I can say it was actually a gift that he gave me. And it, without anybody freaking out about that, it's given me an opportunity to really reinvent myself and be somebody completely different. I would have been probably happy, but I would have been an older woman in a long-term relationship, kind of living out my life. We were always very adventurous and we lived an exciting life, but I know I wouldn't be this person right now. I wouldn't be the embodiment of this person. And it's also about creating communities. I got involved in, um, I, I partnered with a nutritional company that's allowed me to be almost 65 and, and keep up with all my 35 year old friends, actually wearing them out, um, they say, because I have more energy than they do. And so that community is international and it gives me the opportunity to travel and be with friends and experience new things through new eyes. And then I work with Mind Valley as well, which some people may know it's a, one of the biggest online hubs for personal growth. Mind Valley, I'm one of their, I teach for them um, typically in summer, I teach my workshops for them. Another huge community, international community. So I'm always learning, surrounding myself with younger people, with older people, with wise people, with people who have a lot to learn. I'm all of those. And I get to be in those different communities that allow me to just continue to step fully into whoever this woman is that's blossoming, that's Andrea. You know, that, um, that's, that, that is incredible. I, um, one of the things that, that, that popped out at me is that you recognize there is a new chapter. And not one... I haven't interrupted you. Sorry. I, I never interrupt. It's not a new chapter. As an author, people say that it's a new chapter. It's a new book. It's a new, a new book. book. That okay. chapter. Yes. That's why I'm interrupting you. And please forgive me. But the new, new no, chapter no, is the continuation of another of a, of, a, of a book that was a life so well lived and, and so much learned and so I closed that was a conscious choice I closed that book and just decided to write a new one which is who I am now so please continue <laughs> I love that I absolutely love that I have not thought of it that way before and I think that's fantastic I'm going to use that. I am most definitely going to use that. But you recognize this. Okay, so it was a new book. You recognize this. A lot of people get stuck at that point. And you actively sought out others to help you, uh, showing that, that we never do it alone. Um, but some people are alone. And um, what do they do? What are the steps that they can take so that they're not sitting there by themselves feeling like, this overwhelming amount of issues to deal with, how do they take steps? 
finding conscious community. It's so important. Finding conscious community with people who have positive, um, you know, with like-minded, like um, but mostly just positive outlooks on life. People who are taking action, taking steps in their life to continue to better not only themselves, but the world around them and to really make a difference on the planet. And so when we step out of our own pain, and believe me, I sat on my couch and I, I don't do drugs or drink, I, I ate. That's my drug of choice, I, I have to admit, I ate for a year and just sat there and cried and didn't do a whole lot. And then I was invited to, um, I got invited to a, a private island and didn't wanna go and there was a whole group of, there was a training going on there and it just felt way too much for me. And I realized if I don't take this step, then what? And I was scared to get on an airplane. I was scared to be around people that I didn't know. All of those things came up for me. And what if I just cry the whole time? Well, what if? But it was that moment, that decision that challenged me and all my fears in that moment to get off my couch and make a difference. And it was from there that all the other things that started opening because I started realizing I'm still fully alive. Mm -hmm. And I can be whoever I want to be now. I, uh, the, the universe gave me an opportunity to redefine my life. The, the courage to take, it is an amazing gift, and the courage to take the first step. And you mentioned and said it was a choice. You it was a hard choice, but it was a choice. How do, we, uh, how do we learn and recognize the power of choice that each of us have? That we have a, in fact, if we so choose, can have a high locus of control. How do we how do we start? It's such a um, it, it's something that I love I love to talk about is choice and I raised my children always understanding we always have a choice no matter what we always do it may not look pretty it may not be wrapped up in a bow but we always have choice and it's just acknowledging it and realizing it if not this then what if not now then when what it's just that mm -hmm. so if, if even in the worst situation. Sometimes if we have no control of a situation for people who are in really dire situations, there's a choice we have with our own mind. We have a choice sometimes with our own bodies. We have a choice. People can't take certain things away from, from the core of who we are. So for some people, you know, that religion helps them. For others, you know, prayer helps them. Community, meditation, um, walking in nature, being with their family, being with their dogs or cats, whatever it is. It's stepping outside of ourselves and, and remembering that we always have, we live in a country, we're very fortunate, we live in a country where we have choice. It is quite remarkable, uh, the, the opportunities that we have in front of us, Canada, US, uh, other nations. I, um, uh, the courage to take that step, the, the power of, of, that, of that choice, the, um, how, about, how does celebration fit into all of this when you've made a choice and you've, no matter how big or small you've done, how does celebration fit into this? So that's self-acknowledgement. And it's a great thing to teach to children as well. You know, when the little baby starts to walk and falls down and gets up and walks and falls down and gets up, we're clapping the whole way. Yay, mm -hmm. you fell and bumped your head. Yay, you can get up again. <laughs> the kid does anyway. And it's just taking those moments to just say, yay, I did that. Little mm -hmm. tiny step, yay, I did that. It yes. doesn't have to be a big celebration. It doesn't have to be a night out on the town. It doesn't have to cost any money. <clears throat> it's just a self-acknowledgement. Hey, I did that. One baby step. That's all it takes. 
one baby step first and then another one and then another one and then we're walking and then we're running and it's just that self-acknowledgement and it's okay to do that as long as it's not from an ego place it's just saying i did that I did yeah that. yeah it's, it's so important to be proud of ourselves in conjunction with humility and that combination um really does help build confidence and really helps us a lot and releases us to be able to take those start small steps and take the bigger steps uh huge uh, huge steps that you've taken uh what what is what is next for andrea <laughs> so much what's next well just travel i i'm I, I love to travel. I travel for fun um, and I'm passionate about it. And so I'm going to be teaching some more workshops um, uh, around the world. I've got, I'm working on a woman's pilgrimage to take some powerful women to um, a beautiful village in, in the UK in Glastonbury and do some, some work there for, for women's empowerment. Um, I'm working on a brand new book that I can't reveal the title or the subject, but I'm working on that. I just started that. There's just always something in the works. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, as I mentioned before, I partner with a nutritional company, and that's my main passion is helping people become physically and financially well. Um, well. And it's, it's just such an important part because when we have our physical wellness and our mental capacity about us, we can make massive changes and differences in the world and in our own lives and for our family. And when we have the financial ability to do it as well, we can help so many people in so many ways. So that's really my main passion is through the, the company that I partner with to help people create that. I, I just, um, I, I, there's just a couple of things on nutrition I'd, I'd like to move towards because uh, nutrition is, is, is so important and we have so many poor choices available to us. Um, what, what, what do you recommend for people when they're looking at nutrition that's right for them and that they, that they need? Where do, how do they start? Call me. Absolutely, that. No, I do. I work. I mean, I've been a nutritional counselor for for uh, over over forty years now, and even back in the day, forty years ago, before there was keto, paleo, Mediterranean, vegan, all that kind of stuff, I was just telling people, look, if you eat protein, fruits, and vegetables in their most natural form, without a lot of sauces and things on them. Protein, fruits, and vegetables, you're, a lot of the symptoms that people are experiencing today will go away. That was back then. Now we know that there's so many, because we can't get the nutrition from our food supply, even if you're growing your own organic vegetables, we know that we have to supplement. The problem is supplementation. There's so many vitamins and supplements and nutritional shakes and things like that, and the vegan keto thing that are really literally depleting people's bodies. There's not truth in advertising. People are wasting a lot of their money taking things that maybe they're buying it in an expensive health food store or they're buying it in bulk from their local big box store. And a lot of those things are just running right through our bodies and not feeding the brain the nutrition that it needs every single day. And so it's from that place that I help people create um, a, a system for themselves that feeds their brain and keeps their body really functioning at, at high level. One of the, uh, you reminded me of something from, from when growing up. My mother was, uh, is uh, very heavily focused on nutrition. And as a kid, um, our meals were what you described. And I was never sick. I played a lot of sports, never had major injuries. Uh, 
Now, mind you, I took some teasing because when everybody else was eating an ice cream cone, I had a frozen banana. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you do get teased a little bit, but, but very healthy. And, and my mother was focused on that was through the, through the 70s when I, was, when I was growing up. And I was eating tofu back in the day when nobody knew what tofu was, or very few people knew what tofu was. So uh, one of the things I'm most appreciative of when I was growing up, in spite of the, not getting the ice cream cone, I did, my health was, was excellent. And so I appreciate that from my mother. Andrea, you have an amazing story. You're an amazing person. And I cannot thank you enough for uh, joining us today. Uh, but before we sign off, last words of wisdom for, for our audience. Um, what would you like to share? Thank you for having me on the call and letting me just sort of freestyle here with uh, sharing information. I, I always like to encourage people to wake up from their collective coca coma and really pay attention to what they need individually and what their families need. Just because someone else is doing it or someone else is telling you to do it or even you know, the medical system is telling you this, really do your due diligence and, and pay attention to, to what else is available so that you and your family can be the happiest and healthiest and most fulfilled you can be because it's from that place that we, as I say, we can make a difference on the planet and we all know the universe really needs that. <laughs> Absolutely. Andrea, that is uh, fantastic. I uh, thank you so much. Andrea Frank Hencart, uh, nine books, uh, international speaker, uh, new book coming out in the, in the, in the near future. Um, thank you once again for joining us. And, and people can go to my website, andreahencart.com, and they can contact me from there, and they can get my books from there as well. So it's just A-N-D-R-E-A-H-E-N-K-A-R-T.com. Excellent. And we'll post that on our website so people will have the link and additional information about Andrea. So thank you so much, everyone, and have a great day.